beat him hot. Trump goes on offense against BLM. New York City teachers bring coffins and guillotines to protest. Governor Cuomo is begging wealthy New Yorkers to come back to NYC. Updates on the massive explosion in Lebanon. And kindergarten cop is canceled. This This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America. Here great America again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, everybody, to the Buck Sexton Show. Great to have you here. I cannot believe that each passing day now gets us deeper into August and closer to this election, which is going to certainly be the uh, most intense election cycle, I think, in memory. And the most bizarre, for sure, considering there's really no rallies there's no live events there's no conventions to speak of there's maybe not even going to be any debates something we're going to have to get ready for oh no they're saying oh joe biden's going to show up they're telling us that i'm i'm not convinced if i were joe biden i wouldn't i wouldn't show up in fact i don't understand why biden feels any need to really do much of anything other than softball interviews with the lib media that's desperate to help him get elected why why take a risk Right? It's just anti-Trump voting they're going for. No one is going to be inspired by Joe Biden. I saw a meme making the rounds on the uh, Internet last night about how uh, about a computer that had, I think, uh, you know, like eight bits of, of memory storage or something like that. And it looked like, you know, it looked like what you might have seen if you're my age when you were a very, very young kid. And the meme was. This is a computer from when Joe Biden started in the United States Senate. Uh, Just to give you a sense of how long this dude has been in the Senate and doing what he does. Uh, But you have Biden, who's very convinced, at least he seems convinced of his own destiny here, that he is going to be the president of the United States. Everyone's also saying that it's going to be Rice, uh, Susan Rice or uh, Kamala Harris as his VP. I don't think it really makes all that much difference which one of them quite honestly is the vp it checks the boxes it it manages to do what the left wants putting a younger female minority uh, uh individual on the ticket but biden in in a classic moment i want you to hear the whole thing because i want to start off today on a little bit of a different a little bit of a different vibe here here's biden when he's doing an interview with cbs and if you're a cbs reporter you know that your job hangs in the balance if you make Joe Biden look bad, right? I mean, you're, you're not going to advance at all at CBS, NBC, ABC, any of these places, unless you are giving Joe Biden the equivalent of a verbal shiatsu massage every time. That's tough to say real fast. Every time you are interviewing him, perhaps a Swedish massage. I don't even know really what the difference is between these things. But you have to be very, very nice to Biden in the interviews. But it doesn't matter because he's Joe Biden and he's going to start, you know, yeah, man, he's going to like start saying things kind of just loud and and scattershot. And yeah, here he is. When I asked the question whether he's taken a cognitive test, he lets us know that, no, he has not taken the test, to which I automatically want to respond. Oh, we know, Joe, you have not taken a cognitive test and we don't really need to see the results because we already know them. Here he is. Play clip five. Have you taken a cognitive no, test? No, I haven't taken a test. Why the hell would I take a test? Come on, man. 
That's like saying you, before you got in this program, if you take a test where you're taking cocaine or not, what do you think, huh? Are, are you a junkie? What do you say to President Trump who brags about his test and makes your mental state an issue for voters? Well, if he can't figure out the difference between an elephant and a lion, I don't know what the hell he's talking about. Did you watch that? Look, come on, man. I, I, I know you're trying to goad me, but I mean, I'm so forward looking to have an opportunity to sit with the president or stand with the president in debates. There can be plenty of time. And by the way, as I joke with him, you know, it, I, I shouldn't say it. I'm going to say something I don't I, I probably shouldn't say. Anyway, I am uh, I am very willing to let the American public judge my physical and mental fil- my physical as well as my mental fil- fitness. I'm a fit. <laughs> what? Look, every time the guy gives an interview, there's a pretty good chance he's going to have one of these moments. You know, they, they always say that Trump, uh, that they make fun of the way that Trump speaks. But that's just that. Those are his mannerisms. That's the way that the president communicates. And for a lot of us, we, we always we understand what he's saying. One of the media's favorite games that they play is taking every single word that Trump says literally not allowing him any any figurative leeway uh not understanding what's clear exaggeration they, oh the president said this and they all freak out and then with biden they act like yeah that gibberish that he just spouted real statesmanlike and they all nod their heads like the bleating sheep in unison that they are ah so there's that and then on the other side of things you've got the president who's out there i i think now beginning more than ever, uh, more than what we've seen so far, the the counter strike that I've been talking about for a while. The left hit him with everything they had in June and July. But here's the problem that they're going to have going forward. BLM is a political uh, is a political liability in states that are purple, where there are independent voters and where the Democrat Party needs to try to convince Folks in the suburbs, people in areas of the country that are deindustrialized because of offshoring all of our jobs to China, that uh, they need to convince them that the Democrat Party is a sane steward of the American economy. They're not going to be able to do that when they're also telling them, oh, yeah, BLM has been great for America. It has not been great for America. That's putting it mildly. It's made everything worse for everyone, as I've said. And that's just that's just true. We're seeing all those facts and figures come back right now. But they also have to deal with the possibility that the numbers are going to continue to go down in Florida, Arizona, Texas, that they are now on the other side of this curve. And we may now be getting to a place, unless you really believe that New York City has magically become fantastic in its handling of uh, COVID-19, that's, I suppose, possible. Uh, Much more likely is that the disease spreads through a population until there's relative herd immunity, and then it still is out there, but it does not have the same pandemic exponential spread capability. If we're on the other side of that and Trump is on offense against the left and really taking the fight to them, look, I I think Joe Biden and the entire Biden campaign, the Democrat Party going in to this election cycle, I think they've got a glass jaw. It's just a question of are we going to take a big swing? Trump, I was happy to see this morning, my buddy uh, Pete Hegseth hosting on, on Fox and Friends, Trump called in and spoke some important truths about the BLM 
movement. Play, uh, play clip the one with Trump. And Black Lives Matter. Nobody's done better for our black community than me. Nobody. And that is with the possible exception of Abraham Lincoln. It's true. Criminal justice reform, opportunity zones, best employment numbers in history. Every single what I've done, uh, funding the uh, black colleges and universities historically, they say historically black. But the colleges and universities funded it for a long time. They had no funding. They had to keep coming back to Washington. I took care of them for long term. They're all set. Nobody's done for the black community, African-American community, what I've done. Now, I understand the libs are all going to freak out about this. And Trump comparing himself to Lincoln is going to be considered sacrilege. And as I've said before, the president, he's a salesman and he exaggerates a bit. But here's what he's doing that they hate. And this is getting us back into Trump's X factor, the thing that he did that other Republicans didn't do or aren't weren't willing to do. He does not allow the left to dictate the terms of debate instead of, you know, a a month or two ago. It was and this is where I think the president was going wrong. He was extending his hand to uh, to the other side to talk about criminal justice reform with an executive order. And they slapped it away because it's not about criminal justice reform. It's about power. And the president referred to uh, BLM as a bunch of Marxists, which is true. The organizers of this movement, the, the people that were behind this from from its beginnings, have come out and said very openly, uh, very openly that they are Marxists. So why, why can't we understand that for what it is? Why can't we speak openly about this? Because they've already said it. So now this should be a part of the discussion. What are they really trying to do for America? The president, though, needs to go back to, and I think he will because this is who he is, the Trump that will not be contained, that will not be told you have to speak about it this way. You have to. I I don't want the political consultants in his ears. I don't want people getting getting in his face to tell him we need a more moderate tone because of all the trouble the country's had right now. The president needs to let it rip. He needs to let it rip. He needs to go on offense because the other side is is already firing everything they've got. They are they are scorched earth. They are nuclear option. Whatever they can do, they're going to do. So you do not do yourself any favors in a political contest like that where you're holding back because you think that maybe that will make you look a little more magnanimous or statesmanlike or whatever it may be. I'm not saying Trump should just fly off the handle entirely. Sometimes I think his tweets you know look the guy if if you're a barroom brawler and you're throwing big punches sometimes you're gonna miss and you might hit your fist in the wall and hurt yourself right i mean that can happen too but i'm happy to see a the president feels like he's got some of the fight back in him feels like he sees now what the pathway forward is against joe biden the democrats and the whole campaign here and 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 he's also calling out all the stuff going on with these uh, professional sports leagues which, look, I, I, I wish I could tell you that I'm going to boycott them. But as producer Mark rightly points out, I mean, I haven't watched any of these leagues in a long time. Uh, but here's the president saying, you know, look, it's it's disgraceful what they're doing. Let's just call it out. Play 15. A couple of years ago, you were very vocal about uh, kneeling for the national anthem. Now it seems that standing is the new kneeling in that only three players in the NBA, Jonathan Isaac, Myers Leonard, and a coach, Greg Popovich, are actually standing for our nation's anthem. Uh, your take on, on the state of the league. 
I think it's disgraceful. We work with them. We work with them very hard trying to get them open. I was pushing them to get open. And then I see everybody kneeling when uh, during the, the anthem. Uh, we're not it's not acceptable to me when I see them kneeling. I, don't, I just turn off the game. I have no interest in the game. And let me tell you, there's plenty of other people out there, too. That's the right move. The old school GOP would have gone into something about, well, they're entitled to their opinions, and I understand the history of blah, blah. No, 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 no. You're showing disrespect to the national anthem. This all started because of that crybaby Colin Kaepernick, who was at the, on the downslope of his career, who reinvented himself as some kind of social justice hero, and now this has all just caught on. But I'm sorry, we don't have to be okay with this either. We're also allowed to have opinions. We're also allowed to express thoughts on the patriotic pro-american side of the equation that's allowed too and that's what we need we need a president that is taking the fight ideologically to the other side using that that tornado of energy that he has i mean it's like nothing else i've ever seen in somebody his age when he gets fired up when he's really going he's a one-man political machine and we need him out there making the case across the board in as many venues as he can, given the limitations imposed on him by the lockdown libs and by the panic that is still ripping across this country, unfortunately. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. There's never been two candidates or two uh, philosophies, let's say, that are more different than what we have. I mean, we want law and order. We want strong police. We're not defunding the police. We probably could say we're doing the opposite of defunding the police. Uh, you look at Portland, that's all, that's all radical left Democrat. They want every city to be like a Portland. If, if we didn't go out to Portland, they've done a great job, right. just a very small group. If we didn't go out to Portland, they would have knocked down and burned down the post office, which is a $500 million, the, uh, the federal building, the courthouse, which is and the post office and anything else federal. You know, we didn't go just for the courthouse. We went for every federal building there because they weren't protecting it. They were unable to protect it. But we got it to a point where it's reasonable and if we have to do something more we'll do more we have to straighten right. out that city it's been it's been a mess for years run by radical liberal democrats don't assume that your opponents your enemies have a brilliant plan and know what they're doing right don't underestimate them don't overestimate them either the democrats saw an opportunity with blm to mobilize their base to put the trump team on defense to undermine security in cities across the country in a way that would then be they would try to blame on the Trump administration. But it's now looking like it's too obvious. The numbers, the homicide numbers in particular, Chicago, New York, many cities, 36 out of 50 of the top U.S. cities in the country. Big spikes, at least double digits in homicides. And, and with homicides come all the other violent crimes, too. So this is now a liability for Democrats. That's what the Trump team, that's what Trump himself, I think, is focusing in on. And it's going to be very difficult for Joe Biden and all these down ballot Democrats too, all these other Democrats running in the congressional races and for Senate races to explain how it's OK that their party is the party that supports, quote, protesters who are really rioters, who, as we see here, are responsible for 113 eye injuries from lasers shot at them in Portland alone in the last few weeks. I'm just going to say this. If somebody messes with my eyes, if someone tried to blind me 
I would use extreme force at my disposal to stop that from happening. And I would not feel badly about it. Someone's going to try to blind you for the rest of your life. Definitely a baton to the head for that, if not more. I wouldn't mess around with that. That's that's really a form of malicious wounding through technology. You know, it, it's it's disgusting that these protesters do it. Remember, you fire a laser up at a helicopter or a plane, you can go to prison for, I think it's five, it might even be ten years in federal prison. It's a federal crime, as it should be. You cause a crash very easily, completely disorient the pilot and blind him. We, we think it's, it's no big deal to do that to federal officers. Absolutely unacceptable. The Democrats are the party of the people trying to blind police officers. That should be the ad we run across the country. These are all Democrats doing it. And Democrats supporting it. Let's not get too caught up in the terminology. Oh, it's Antifa, leftist, Marxist, socialist. You know, we're not we're not in a philosophy 101 class here, folks. We're in a political street fight. These are Democrats who are out there trying to burn down courthouses in Portland. They're Democrats who are causing these autonomous, creating these autonomous zones in places like Port, uh, Seattle. And the people looting and, and rioting in the streets of whether it's New York or Fort Wayne, Indiana, or other smaller cities that people don't even think about as being subject to this. Minneapolis, obviously, the, the beginnings of all of this. When you look at who's doing this, it's all on Democrat hands. Just making everything worse for everyone. Instead of being the party of adult thinking and seriousness and coming up with solutions, they're the party of wine, cry, and trash whatever you want. Just just complain. The party of childishness. That is the Democrat Party. And I think the president and his allies are in a strong position now to make that case, especially as their their favorite thing to just terrify everybody about covid. If the numbers continue to go down in those states that are the hardest hit. And by September, we're in a place where it's clear we're on the other side of that curve. Oh, and they're going to tell you it's masks and mitigation. I can tell you that right now. That's what they're going to say. No, it's not. It's just not. But we don't have to get into that argument right now. What is it? What is it that the Democrats are willing to say about the worst offenders from within their ranks? And I was talking about Antifa. What would they say about it? Ted Cruz held a hearing on this in the Senate. Some interesting answers came from it. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. So what do the supposedly serious... Democrats in power think about their most insane supporters. Do do they disavow them? Do they criticize them? Do they have any problem with the paramilitary wing of the Democrat Party operating as it does? Uh, Senator Senator Cruz held a hearing about this. And uh, first he wanted to know, he he asked uh, Ken Cuccinelli, who's number two at DHS, who we had on the show, I don't know, a week or two ago now asked him about what the the terminology, specific terminology that Democrat politicians, I'm not talking about random people living in mom's basement right in the comment section of the Huffington Post uh, or HuffPost, as it's called now. I'm talking about what do the people that are supposed to be leading the Democrat Party say about all this stuff? And here's what they say. Things like stormtroopers and Gestapo when talking about our federal law enforcement officers remember james comey the greatest man in the history of the world according to libs because he was on an insane jihad you know a lanky weirdos jihad against trump 
And now federal officers are stormtroopers and Gestapo. Uh, Senator Cruz asked Ken Cuccinelli about this. Play clip six. Speaker Pelosi and another senior House Democrat have referred to federal law enforcement officers working for the Department of Homeland Security as stormtroopers and Gestapo. Are there any stormtroopers or Gestapo working for DHS right now? No, Mr. Chairman, they're not. And um, it's, uh, it's an extremely negative and hyperbolic libel by those individuals on people who are doing their duty as professionally as they can, <clears throat> not just in Portland, but around the country, uh, protecting, including those of us in this building. Yeah, that should be pretty straightforward, right? You'd be thinking, how, how does anyone disagree with this? How, how could anyone have a problem? These people are nuts, right? Antifa are lunatics. They're losers. They destroy things. They attack people. They'll attack journalists. Unless the journalist does their bidding, which a lot of journalists do. They hate Andy No out on the West Coast so much because Andy just shows what they're doing. Oh, you, you'd think, wouldn't you, that given all the journalistic resources out there of these major media organizations, that they'd have a whole lot more worthwhile footage to show of the kind of stuff that Antifa does. But no, we have to go to Andy No to see the truth. Why is that? Because the Democrats in the media are running cover for their paramilitary wing, which is Antifa, right? They're, they're most hardcore activists. They're most devoted, most devoted peeps. So that's what's going on here, right? That's what we see happening. You, you, see, you have a Representative Ayanna Presley defending Antifa members. Play seven. As we have seen with movements, they will try to co-opt it and undermine it and sanitize it and whitewash it. But the Black Lives Matter activists that are today called Antifa were in the 1960s being called communists, okay? They were just as disruptive and agitating the status quo and just as impatient. Ah. Oh, so so we're we're going to we're going to pretend that that Antifa really are anti-fascists? Is, is that the game now? We're going to say that Antifa... Where's the fascism they're fighting against? The Trump administration? Right, the Trump administration that keeps saying they want people to go back to living their lives and making their own decisions and having freedom to move, to open their businesses, to visit relatives, to see loved ones, to not be choking themselves with a face diaper all the time, right? Is, isn't that... Okay. That's fascism now? No, no. This is, very, this is very George Orwell's 1984 in that it is the inversion of truth for the purposes of propaganda, right? The Antifa, the Antifa are the fascists. They want to control everything. The people that are running around trying to burn down federal courthouses, they, they just want to undermine the system enough that they can take control of it, don't you see? That's the point. They're not trying to burn it all down to the ground and then have a state of total anarchy because their political opponents are the ones that have a whole lot of guns, right? They know that. They're not going to try to control red state America by bringing down the entire federal government. What do they want? They want control of that federal apparatus. They attack it to weaken it for political purposes so then they can seize control of it, their side, their party. Antifa wants Joe Biden to win. They don't actually want anarchy, right? That's what I think everyone needs to understand. This is, this is the game they're playing. It's intentionally separated out. It's intentionally supposed to be confusing. Wait, they're, 
they're anarchists, but they're anti-fascists, and they say it's like World War II all over again, and they're fighting Nazi Germany. No, 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 no. They, they're just they're just attacking the uh, the edifice of the state right now to create disunity, to undermine its ability to protect us, to make people think that there's no point in voting, to make people think there's no point in having Trump in charge. Can't defend cities. Can't defend courthouses. You know, demoralize your opponents. And then you bring in the leftist overlords. Then you bring in the people that are going to tell you what to do all the time. That's that's the strategy. This is all this is all part of the Democrat seizure of power that they're planning this fall. It's these are these are you know separate uh, separate efforts as part of the same overall movement. And if you wanted to see just how unwilling they are to speak the truth about this or or even just to openly criticize the antifa which should be so easy why would anyone not do that here's Maisie hirono i i do think the dumbest member of congress and i'm just gonna i think that's fair i think she's the the least uh, the least intellectually capable member of the united states congress I, and there are some others that are close i'm not gonna say that she's far and away but i certainly the dumbest senator I think Congress is too much. The dumbest senator. There are dumber people in the Congress. Uh, but here she is when she's asked about uh, about this and, and Ted Cruz is having his hearing. She, she doesn't want the hearing to, to go on. She doesn't want to hear about Antifa. Play clip four. So I hope this is the end of this hearing, Mr. Chairman, and that we don't have to listen to any more of your rhetorical speeches. Thank you very much. I'm leaving. Well, I appreciate the, as always, kind and uplifting words of Senator Hirono. And I would also note that throughout her remarks, she still did not say a negative word about Antifa, nor has any Democrat here. Uh, they instead engage in a political game where they depend. You're welcome to say something negative about Antifa right now. I think that I've covered the subject quite well. You okay. are not listening. Okay. She declined to speak, so that is the position of the Democratic Party. I would note also that of the seven Democratic senators who spoke, not a one of them apologized for or denounced multiple Democrats calling law enforcement officers Nazis, stormtroopers and Gestapo, to be fair. I don't have not heard the word Nazi, but stormtrooper was Nancy Pelosi and Gestapo was another Democratic leader. This is really meaningful. I, I know that there's so much that can get lost in the political back and forth and, oh, is this just partisan gamesmanship and. It's meaningful that the Democrats have embraced an anti-law enforcement position because it's the it's a, a culmination of their overall rejection of objective truth and their moral relativism. They don't think that the law can just be enforced as the law. The law has to be enforced within a political context that they are constantly making and remaking to suit their whims in the moment. Right. The, the law is inherently problematic Criminal law specifically is inherently problematic for the Democrat left wing mentality, in which we see them distorting it and destroying it and undermining basic principles of it. I mean, whether they're pretending that the presumption of innocence no longer counts for anything in the Kavanaugh hearing or trying to tear down a federal courthouse, actually destroy the courthouse itself, they will undermine any aspects of the law because the law is an impediment to their goals and their, their designs on this society. A law that is equally enforced and that is applicable to all of us and that we all have to live under and that can be understood as it is written, that statutes have real meaning, 
not just a, a collection of words that can be reinterpreted into meaninglessness or into something that they don't say. That's all a problem for the Democrat mentality. You remember, they believe in moral relativism. You know, break, break it down, take it to its, its uh, philosophical roots. They believe in moral relativism. They believe that there is no such thing as eternal and universal truth. They reject natural law. They reject individual, uh, individual rights as divinely endowed. No, it's all from the state. Whoever controls the government controls you, controls everything. That's their view. That's their worldview. They're not going to back away from this. That's not going to change. And if that's how you view things, why would you undermine Antifa? They're very, they're very useful in creating chaos that can then be exploited. What could be easier than saying people who are rioting night after night, two months straight in a major American city, and are doing so partially under the banner of the BLM movement, partially under the banner of, you know, Antifa and, and the, you know, the Democrat shock troops. There are all the, oh, and then the, the moms against, uh, the moms against whatever cops or whatever they're calling themselves now. All this nonsense. All this nonsense that these libs do. Uh, it should be so straightforward to condemn these, this outrageous behavior, but also these violations of law. And they won't do it. They will not. Democrats will not do this because they know that if they open that up, then all of a sudden there may be requests. Well, what about this other group that was looting and rioting and destroying? What about the BLM movement up to this point? They they allow their their minions, their shock troops to go out there and and intimidate people and get all angry and put this stuff on social media and make it seem like there's a much bigger movement of radical leftism in this country when it comes to the average American than there really is, all because it benefits the, it benefits the Democrat Party. So they're not going to stop any of that. They're not going to have a problem with it. They're not going to say a word about it. Republicans are the ones who unnecessarily apologize for their team, apologize for us. Said, oh, you know, we shouldn't have done this. Oh, we're so sorry. Uh, Democrats never do that. Never ever do that and i think we're all starting to see more and more why that is especially in this election cycle oh and there was one more Maisie hirono moment right before she walked out of the ted cruz hearing that i want i want you to hear play clip 10 and, and now there are all these attacks about black lives matter and what they're saying i mean how many of us even think that defunding police departments is uh, it should be taken literally i mean i certainly don't so you know, we have this pesky thing called freedom of speech. And I'd say that the, the, the people who support Black Lives Matter and if they're calling for various boycotts and all that, that's called freedom of speech. And that's what this hearing title is, protecting speech. So all I can say is, look, we should all join hands and, and denouncing and uh, <laughs> whatever words you want to use about violent extremism of all stripes. And I think we can all agree on that. So to constantly accuse Democrats of not caring about that is re really, uh, I, I, I can only say that you, you, you aren't listening. Denounce violent extremism of all stripes. OK, what about the specific violent extremism that has been defining the Democrat Party's movement and reelection prospects for 2020? How about that? No, not going to talk about it. Notice how Democrats, when they want to talk about Black Lives Matter, if you bring up Blue Lives Matter or All Lives Matter, you're horrible, we're focused on this. 
And then when you want to talk about Antifa and what they're doing, it's, oh, it's everything, right? It's all violent extremism. So uh, there's, there's no consistency. There never will be any consistency with them because they're frauds. Uh, they're frauds. And, and they're, they're pushing what is, what is effectively now a morally and intellectually bankrupt ideology on the United States. I would not have said that about the Democratic Party 20 years ago. It, that's where the Democratic Party is today. It, it thrives on abortion, racial division, socialism, state control of every aspect of your life, climate change, worship, and what else do you want to throw in there? Nothing good. There's nothing the Democrats offer up where I'm like, yeah, you know what? That would make my life better. Good stuff. Oh, the, the free health care that's not really free, that's actually just a tax on a lot of working people to give to some other people in order to have everybody have subpar, mediocre at best health care. Uh, I'm not looking forward to that. Not rushing out to get more of that. Nothing the Democrats offer up right now as a as a major part of their platform. They're they're not the they're not even for putting America first. They're not even for um, limiting U.S. military interventions or continued occupations overseas anymore. You know, they're just for whatever Trump is against. That's it. They're just in opposition to the party that says, hey, look, life is not perfect. Political parties, politicians, not perfect. Let's do the best we can based on reason, logic, history and the law. That seems pretty, pretty good lodestar to me, right? Not the Democrats. Make it all up as you go along. Relativism, 100 percent. That's the plan. That's what they offer you. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Oh, and just when you thought it couldn't get any dumber among the Democrats these days, guess who weighs in? Joe Scarborough. Really, among the biggest frauds, it's it's like the Lincoln Project created a TV news anchor, right? I mean, it's like they, they made him in a lab. Um, he weighs in on on Trump's Axios interview, which Trump was you know, hammered by the media for this. And, and here's what uh, Scarborough adds in the mix. Play 14. Donald Trump cannot even say that John Lewis was an impressive man. And he brought up repeatedly this poor, tortured, twisted soul brought up repeatedly that John Lewis did not attend his inauguration four years ago. So as this American icon, this American angel, our saint, as, as John Meacham calls him, is lying in state, Donald Trump can't even say anything nice about him. Is that because he's extraordinarily small or He's still sending signals out to white nationalists like David Duke, who say that his election was great for America. Probably a combination of both. Uh, All right. All right. All right. I I just they're going to start talking about David Duke. David Duke only exists in the minds of Democrats at election time to attack Republicans. It's, It's the most consistent thing you could ever see in American politics. Every election cycle, Democrats and their their uh lackeys like Scarborough, you know, doing whatever the Democrats tell them for a paycheck. Uh, They will bring up David Duke again. You never hear about this guy except at election time to attack Republicans. Uh, And now we're going to hear about white nationalists again, too. 
which it's just insane, folks, but they're, they're not going to stop. They're going to throw everything they've thrown at Trump in the past at him again. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. So we're seeing what's really going on with the teachers unions now in a, in a way that I, I've got to say, I'm 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 pleased in a sense. I'm, I'm pleased that there's greater clarity now than there has been in a long time about what the teachers unions really stand for. And if you're wondering, uh, the, in New York, they have shown up to protest carrying um, fake coffins or i guess just coffins without bodies in them and uh, guillotines and they have uh, they've been chanting things this is this is the line i'm trying to find for you children cannot learn if they're dead that's what they're saying in this new york post article that's right if they have to go to school they're gonna die children are gonna die everyone's gonna die um, meanwhile, I know from my grocery store, my neighborhood where I've been going in person to get groceries since the beginning of the pandemic, including when New York was the worst hit place in the entire world. People have been showing up to do their job there for months and months and months, interacting with adults in close quarters, and they're fine. So I, I just I want to know, is that an, an unacceptable health hazard? They're doing their jobs. The people who work in the building where I live. Uh, you know, the guys who work in maintenance and the, the people who work in the package room, they're doing their jobs. I'm doing my job. A lot of you are doing your jobs if you're fortunate enough to still have one, considering the government has basically shut us down and told us that we're not allowed to work in a lot of places. Teachers aren't supposed to do their job. Why? Why? I, I don't I, I haven't seen a good oh, because they, they might get COVID. Everybody might get COVID from walking out of their house. But you're also seeing that they know they know that there is an election coming up and that the Democrats are a necessary constituency. I'm sorry, the uh, the teachers unions are a necessary constituency for the Democrat Party to get elected. Right. The, the power, the money that goes into Democrat coffers from teachers unions, immense teachers unions, American Federation of Teachers, all these different groups. They're like a giant pack for Democrats, a political action committee for them with enormous donations from all over the country and a tremendous amount of political power and ability to mobilize. That's what this is about. And it's not about kids, uh, but that that just goes to show you, too. These are the people that are going to be showing up, at least in New York, and trying to teach your children. They think it's it's reasonable to dress up in skeleton costumes and carry coffins and guillotines and say children can't learn if they're dead. When will kids be allowed to go back to school? Oh, this is all based on the whim of Democrat politicians. We understand that, right? That there, there is no future in which there is a 100 a, percent safety that can be guaranteed for children in any school anywhere from disease and not just from COVID-19. Every year, children die from the flu. That is what happens. No discussion about this somehow. No discussion about how we never shut down schools in the past, even for very bad flu seasons. So why are we doing this? You know, Chicago is now the third largest school district in the country shut down. New York may be open partially. They're still figuring out the plan going back and forth on this. What are the chances that Democrats uh, sweep to election victories if most school districts in the country, most major school districts in the country are shut down? 
I think everyone realizes it's a bit higher. This is an intensely political issue. Europe has opened up their schools. So why can't we open up our schools? No one seems to answer this question. Places that have been worse hit by coronavirus than we have as a country have schools open and they're fine. I'm not saying there's no cases. I'm not saying there's no risk. But since when do we run public policy based on a promise of zero risk? We've ne- we don't do that. Democrats will try that sometimes with gun laws. If it saves one life, they'll say. We, we don't do that with anything else in public life. If it saves one life, we're going to dramatically change a fundamental right or we're going to make sweeping policy based upon this. If it could theoretically save one life, that's that's not the way we run a society. It's not the way we run a country because there's no end to that. There are a lot of things you could do to save just one life. Right. A lot, a lot of things. You could ban all bi- bicycles are dangerous, ban all bicycles across the country. Not allowed to ride a bicycle. People die every year riding on bicycles. You're going to ban them all. No. Right. I mean, we don't have to go down this road, but it's philosophically. This is where the Democrats are. They're making false arguments. Constantly, they're making arguments in bad faith. And if you're wondering uh, how that's possible, they have people like the the worst mayor, the worst mayor in the United States of America. I know some of you are yelling out the mayor from your city, because if you're in a major city and I know we got we got listeners in, in San Diego and in Austin and in and in Minneapolis and in Baltimore and we got a lot of cities. A lot of cities with crap mayors. Uh, but I, I still claim, I think I'm number, we're number one, not I'm, we're number one here in New York uh, with Bill de Blasio, the worst mayor in America. And here is, we had this, this storm system that came through yesterday. I think about a half a dozen people were killed by falling debris. And, you know, it's, uh, it was a very serious storm. Here's what de Blasio says uh, was the reason for this. Play, play 13. Let's talk about the bigger reality what we're seeing here and what we've been seeing now for years is the result of global warming we've been seeing more and more pressure on coastal areas all around the world some of you may have been following the horrible flooding in bangladesh right now we have a big bangladeshi community here in this city we're seeing problems in cities all over the world because of global warming this is not an abstraction ah we're shut down. We're facing the rental and retail apocalypse in America's largest city. I, I've seen it. I mean, I, I've walked around streets. Uh, I went to the uh, the Upper East Side, which is the one of the fanciest, most well-known neighborhoods in all of New York City. And uh, I, I went there to get my hair cut because I need to get a haircut. I walk around. There's sto- empty storefronts everywhere. I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen so many empty storefronts in the retail and, and commercial sector of the Upper East Side, and you got people that are going to be getting evicted from that. Now, probably not in the wealthiest neighborhoods, but in the rest of the city getting evicted from their apartments. And de Blasio wants us to worry about flooding in other cities because of global warming. This guy's a loon. He is a loon. And that's what I think we all need to recognize. That's what I think we all need to understand. The people that are in charge that are calling the shots in a lot of places across America are a bunch of irresponsible dumbasses. Let's just say it. Let's understand it. Let's be very clear about it. And then we also have the showdown right now over whether we're going to get a trillion dollars sent to cities across this country, courtesy of the federal government, 
uh, state and local governments, I should say, uh, as a result of the shortfalls from COVID-19. You know, New York feels like it can stay shut down and a lot of other cities like this too stay in, in a relative state of shutdown as long as they need to because, you know, the taxpayer is going to backstop all this anyway. So we'll keep all of our stuff going. Well, the Republicans are giving a little bit of fight back on this. Not nearly enough fight on a whole lot of things, but they're, they are pushing back on this a little bit. So you know what de Blasio is saying? At a time when the city of New York has, and I'm using this really as the canary in the coal mine for the rest of you, because you're going to see this happen in your state and your city, especially if, it's, if either of those things are blue, which if you're in a city, it definitely is blue, your state, maybe. Um, but even places like Texas are going to have big problems as a result of this, if this continues. Uh, you have the threat to fire at a time when New York has skyrocketing uh, murder rate relative to what it was last year. You have a threat to just completely implode this place. Play, play 80. I'm sorry, eight. My challenge is where am I going to have the people to do this work? Uh, I may have to do as many as layoffs of 22,000 city employees from every department by October 1st, if I don't get federal help. So I know we can handle all these problems. We've proven we can before, but we can't do it without the skilled personnel, the cops, the firefighters, uh, the healthcare workers, the teachers. That's the biggest threat right now. What if that federal aid doesn't come and time is a waste and will. Now, the Democrats, as you know, philosophically are committed to spending as much money as they want whenever they want. Right. That's their that they think that that the federal government creates wealth, that that it, it, it makes now. Now, at some level, that is true. If the federal government put a million dollars in your bank account, you would be a millionaire or some of you listening probably are. Congratulations. But, you know, if they put a million dollars in your account, you're a millionaire. If the federal government put a million dollars in every American's bank account. Right. Just to work through our thought experiment, they would destroy American currency and the U.S. economy. Right. It would no the dollar would no longer be worth anything. The reserve currency status would go away. Uh, we would have huge problems. Right. We, we would effectively d- dissolve America in real time if they did that. Now, they're not saying they're going to do that, but they are saying let's spend us into oblivion. A Reuters piece just from a few a uh, few hours ago, as dollar slides, some investors fret about its status as world's reserve currency. Potentially accelerating the green uh, accelerating what has been a slow erosion, the greenback status as the dominant reserve currency. This piece says investors and analysts, including billionaire hedge fund manager Ray Dalio and Goldman Sachs group strategist are among those who have warned that massive U.S. government spending could really hurt the dollar. The same time, rock bottom U.S. interest rates for the foreseeable future and concerns over a potential rise in inflation are denting the dollar's appeal. These factors are already weighing on the dollar, which stands 9% below its high of the year and notched the worst monthly performance in a decade in July. This is this Reuters piece. It's very important, folks. This affects everything. And if you care about the economy or not, the economy cares about you. And this is the foundation of our economy that is getting chipped at, kicked at, blasted by the reckless spending and the government policies that we've seen for a long time. But they've gotten a lot worse recently. Uh, Changes that may affect the dollar's reserve currency status have historically been glacial, according to chief strategist at Deutsche Bank. Lately, they have been speeding up. 
The dollar's dominance endows the U.S. with many benefits ranging from an outsized influence over the world's financial system to giving it the power to flex its muscle abroad by punishing rivals and bringing foreign uh, errant foreign players to heel. For, for the world's central bankers, the dollar remains the reserve currency of choice by far. The dollar share of global central bank reserves stood at 62% the first quarter, compared with 20% for the euro and 1.9% for the yuan. That's according to the IMF. Foreign holdings of U.S. treasuries, considered among the world's safest investments, rose to $6.86 trillion in May. The only reason, as I see it, that we have not had a much more rapid deceleration of the dollar is that the whole world is in a state of economic difficulty right so we might be still better relative to the rest but if other countries are opening up and get going and get their economies uh you know get not just COVID under control but get their economies roaring again china's the one we're obviously looking at the most closely for this the disparity that the shift that can happen will be sudden and impactful it will be meaningful. And what do we do then? What do we do then when people start to say, well, you know, the U.S. is still dragging this out, dragging this out. China's up and running again. Maybe I got to start thinking about buying more Chinese uh, Chinese renminbi or Chinese yuan uh, going forward. Maybe that's where I want Maybe Maybe I, wanna, I want the Chinese government to owe me money, not the U.S. government. My friends, if that happens, we are all, every single person listening to this, everyone in America, all in a worse financial situation than we are right now if that becomes the global perception what do you think the chinese are planning with all this why do you think the chinese are doing what they're doing lately vis-a-vis us and the rest of the world why do you think they didn't try to stop the virus from getting outside of their own borders they're playing a game of great power politics and we have joe biden not passing the cognitive test of giving an interview where he doesn't sound like a moron you're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I'm not the only one who thinks old man Biden is a laughable option for the presidency based just on, on his current state. Joe Rogan, biggest podcaster in the world and a guy with a lot of uh, a lot of influence on the national conversation without seeming like he's trying too hard to have it, right? You got Rogan, you got Stool Presidente, Dave Portnoy. These guys, they, they have far more influence on what particularly American males are thinking uh, than you know, CBS Evening News or one of these places. Here's what Rogan said. Rogan said he was going to vote for Bernie Sanders. Now I'll say this, Bernie Sanders, a crazy commie, but I never heard him start spouting gibberish and everything. You know, so you can make a case that Bernie Sanders, even though uh, wait, I think he's a little older than Biden, I think. Producer Nick, check me out. Producer Mark, check me on that one. Um, but Sanders it never seemed like he lacked clarity uh, up, up top, so to speak. Um, here's what Joe Rogan says about Biden. Eleven. I believe there's an also large group of people that are very uncomfortable with a man who seems to be mentally compromised winning the election and doing so by hiding. I mean, yeah. the guy's never he was just at another thing the other day and he forgot where he was. Why is that OK? I mean, the Democrats have created this circumstance where they're all just going to have to look you in the eye and say, yeah, yeah, you know. Biden's great. We don't see any decline in his cognitive ability. We don't see any problem here whatsoever. 
Meanwhile, the what they what they'll put Trump through, which is just maddening, is no matter what he says, no matter what he says, they will trash it. And they well, this has always been the case. I know that. But no matter no matter what the subject matter is, they'll distort what he says just to fit into the Trump is, you know, Trump is an ignoramus and he's the worst and all this other stuff that they say. Play. Uh, here's the president trying to differentiate absentee ballots and the systems in place for them from a universal mail-in voting program the Democrats want to institute weeks before a nationwide election during a pandemic. Play 17. Absentee is okay because you have to go through a process, Brian, and you go through a process and you make a request and they send it to you and you get it and you fill it out and it's a process and it's a smaller number. What they're going to do is blanket the state. Anybody that ever walked, frankly, will get one. And, you know, the governor's a clubhouse politician. He's uh, somebody that, frankly... uh, was shocking and shocking what he did, more shocking what he did without uh, town halls, without meetings, without the public. They went out and they just approved this ridiculous system and the post office will never be equipped to handle it. And you see it in New York in a much smaller scale. We have a congressional race, Carolyn Maloney, a congresswoman. Yeah. The scale matters here, right? The planning matters. This this pretense that, oh, it's just so easy. We're just going to all the mail. They're going to be sending ballots in uh, that, that, you know, there's no quality control in this whatsoever. They're going to be sending ballots to people who are either dead or don't exist or aren't registered or don't live there. There'll be ballots floating around. They'll allow ballot harvesting. People can just show up and take a ballot. Say, oh, yeah, this was, you know, John so-and-so's ballot and hand it in. In New York, they're even saying uh, they're even counting uh, ballots that weren't postmarked by the date. Because they said there was a problem with the postmarking system. Well, imagine that. I mean, now that means you could have voted a week late. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's just there's no there's no effort whatsoever to be fair minded about this. Trump explained the difference and the media flipped out about this. Oh, it's, now he says that Florida can do mail. And yeah, well, there are some places that have been doing a mail in program for a long time and have greater preparation nationwide mail in balloting. We, we all know we just did this in New York. OK, we just ran this. Carolyn Maloney, member of Congress, Democrat. We just saw what happens. And it's a disaster. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Before I begin, it is day 42 of the botched New York City primary, where still there is no election results in one congressional race. This, as the New York Times notes, is due to, quote, the deluge of 400,000 mail-in ballots, previewing the, quote, challenges facing the nation as it looks towards conducting the November general election with mass mail-in voting. Yeah, it's been a disaster. There you had White House Press Secretary Kelly McEnany just establishing for anyone listening exactly what a mess mail-in balloting has been in New York. And remember, the, the, the Democrat mentality in all of this is going to be that they want mail-in balloting because it'll either help them win or if they lose, they'll claim that it was a fraudulent election and the, and the Republicans cheated. And they will even I, I told you this. This has been my prediction. They will even say that mail-in ball, balloting that they demanded was uh, abused and and uh, part of the fraud. 
So that they get what they want, and then they claim if they lose, that in getting what they want, they made the election less secure. Democrats have no principles about this stuff. They don't care. They don't care. And if, and if you try and speak some sense to them about any of this, they get very, very snippy. CNN anchor, uh, uh, just we don't even need to say her name. Doesn't matter. A CNN anchor, another one, one of their kind of second tier, second team folks over at CNN has decided that, yeah, you know, they're just going to all be partisans now. Even the ones that were kind of pretending that they're just going to read the news and, oh, I'm a journalist. Uh, they're all partisans. And, and here she is uh, with Mercedes Schlapp uh, talking about about voter fraud. And the claim that the CNN anchor made was that there is no voter fraud. Now, we can debate how much voter fraud there is, but the, the statement there is no voter fraud is incorrect. People go to prison every year for voter fraud. Voter fraud exists, and we probably catch a very small percentage of what does exist. We don't know. There's really no uh, systematic way to gauge something that's that, you know. How many, here, let me ask you this. How many people go to prison every year for cheating on their taxes? Not very many. People do go to prison for it. How many people do you think in America are cheating on their taxes? We all understand intuitively it's a lot. It's a lot. But very few people actually go to prison. Now, I'm, out, I'm somebody who believes that really you should just make financial restitution and pay a fine. I don't believe that people should go to prison, especially a first-time offense for tax violations. Maybe if they're like egregious, you know, if you refuse to ever pay income tax or something. But I, I think it should be very, very hard to get sent to prison for tax fraud. Um, and it's pretty, it, that said, there's not that many people that go every year. Uh, but th- I'm just using it to illustrate the example. We-, we know it exists. We know what happens. And just because we don't catch it all the time, that doesn't mean that we know what the real scale of it is. Same thing can be said of voter fraud. We know it exists. We know what happens. People do go to prison for it. But the belief that anybody has that uh, that any Democrat, of course, now conveniently would have that voter fraud is not a real concern. Um, this is just based on what they think should be true, not what is true. Uh, and. When you try to call them out on this, you get stuff like this. Play three. November 3rd. Mercedes, vote, yes you're no? saying you're saying that voter fraud is a thing, and I'm telling you that it's not. And you're muddying uh, okay, the waters. And I also wonder, you know isn't that? Don't you worry that that's going to actually hurt you? I mean, isn't that to the point why the yeah, president Georgia. has said they when it comes? Okay, issues. they have okay. left thousands Mercedes, of Mercedes, I'm asking. I'm just going. Mercedes. In Mercedes, fact, we can go have this is like so this is just yeah. pointless. OK, this is pointless. Yeah. I get it. You're just saying a bunch of crap. OK, you're saying a bunch of crap. Can I tell you what? No, let me we're tell talking you. About vo- no, no, we're talking about voting in a pandemic. We're talking. All of a sudden, OK, you don't let them have a conversation with them. We're talking about voting in a pandemic. What you're saying is a bunch of crap. What would you ever would you ever see anyone on CNN as an anchor, a news anchor, say to a member of the Biden campaign or advisor to the Biden campaign or, you know, whatever, uh, that what they're saying is a bunch of crap after saying something as demonstrably, stupidly false as voter fraud is not a thing. It's not a thing. It is a thing. You can say it's not a big thing. Fine. It is a thing. Right. Would you ever say to somebody police shooting unarmed uh, police shooting unarmed Uh, civilians is not a thing doesn't exist no that would be wrong in fact it's very rare but democrats insist we talk about it all the time right it's incredibly rare but 
We have to talk about it all the time. But I can't say to you and expect not to be criticized for saying something untrue. Police never shoot unarmed, innocent people. All right. So this is what I mean. We all have to play by the same rules. Either statement is true or it is not. There is no voter fraud. Voter fraud is not a thing that exists is incorrect. It's a lie. We can argue about the severity of it, but you see, this is really just jockeying for what will be jockeying for position for what will be best for Democrats to win the election. Of course, of course, well, I I have to go. I wait in line to go to the UPS store to go to go get groceries. You know, I, I, I eat at restaurants outdoors now. I'm doing all these things here. And yeah, there's these annoying restrictions. I got the mask and the social distancing and all this stuff. I'm not going to do this to vote once. Really? I got to tell you, folks, it's it's pretty transparent what they're doing, but they don't care. Uh, They have no integrity to protect, which means that they have they have a lot of leeway, a lot of things that they can do here. And I'm also wondering what happens when it. Assuming, and I don't know, and I understand some things about COVID-19 in terms of predictions, I've been very correct on other things. I've been wrong. Um, and, and I will admit that to you. A lot of other people will never admit these sorts of things. You know, they want to pretend that they're perfect and they're all seeing and all this other stuff. I did think that in the summer it would go down dramatically as the flu does. Didn't happen. There are some reasons that people are, are theorizing about that, but that was a surprise to me. Right. I do think that we are in the downward slope. This is just based on the data trend right now. I do think we're in the downward slope of a lot of these major outbreaks across the country in, in large states with big populations. And they're going to mirror what we've seen happen in New York and New Jersey, where you had a terrible outbreak. And now I think we had four people die in New York state from COVID-19. Four. There are 20 million people in New York state. Four of them died from COVID-19. And, and we're still we're still like shut down pretty much. I mean, you can do some things, but no indoor stuff, no large gatherings, masking everywhere, constantly being, you know, just harassed by uh, the moral busybodies of the left. We would all defeat the virus if you would just listen to Biden. Sure, sure. That would be that seems that seems reasonable if you're an imbecile. Uh, but what's what, what's going to happen if we get close to the election? It turns out that we're far. I mean, in New York right now, to tell everybody you have to go vote tomorrow, that would be complete. There's no there's no database reason for us not to do that, really. What happens if we're a lot of other places in the same position, but then we also have the mail in voting? What was that all for? Well, this is why Democrats are pushing so hard for it now, even though they don't have the structures in place. They're pushing for it. And if they don't get their way, you know, they're going to play it both ways. If they get enough mail in mail in balloting going and they lose, they'll say that um, they they think the mail in balloting was actually a place where Republicans were committing fraud or that there were uncounted ballots. They'll blame the system. Or if they don't get enough mail in balloting, uh, then they'll say, well, this was an unfair election because our, our demands were not conceded. I, I know this. It sounds it's like arguing with a five year old. Right. It doesn't matter. They're going to have a problem with it no matter what you do. So just be prepared for that. Uh, the president spoke yesterday about where we are on COVID and gave some very important facts and figures. I think everybody needs to hear. Let's get to that. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. The knowledge we have gained about the disease itself, the recent rise in cases has not been accompanied by a significant increase in deaths. 
fatalities nationwide are at roughly half the level of the April peak. So the death, the number of deaths or fatalities are at half the level. One is too much. One death, because this should have never happened to us. It should have been stopped at very easily by China in Wuhan. Thanks to our major advances in treatment, we've seen vast improvements in recovery rates across all age groups compared to April. Mortality rates are 85 percent lower among individuals aged 18 to 69 and 70 percent lower among individuals over 70 years old. We've also made significant strides in sheltering those at highest risk, especially the elderly. Approximately 85 percent of all current cases are individuals under the age of 65. Just getting some very accurate numbers on this. And these are people who are generally at a much lower risk of complications. Under 65, 85% decline in mortality based upon cases. Over 70, I think he said, or over 65, a 70% decline. So... Those are those are very important numbers because you keep seeing the caseload number go up and we are doing a tremendous amount of of testing. And so, yes, we're finding more cases, including of people that beat this very, you know, in very reasonable time frame, don't get that sick or barely have any symptoms at all. But the case number is what is getting people so frightened in a lot of parts of the country. And it's why you have a lot of policies that are that are now rolling back reopens and, and pushing for a return to sort of the more the more panicked mindset about all of this. But let's remember that there are there are the they know more about the virus than they did six months ago. Uh, doctors and hospitals are more effective at dealing with it than they were. There's not a cure, but they're more effective at at handling the symptoms and knowing what to do. Um there is really promising data from a large study published uh, that just came out today that the mortality rate for very ill people in the hospital, if they're given convalescent plasma, is 50 percent lower. So and that's a big, a big, uh, very well, well put together study. So that's encouraging. You know, there are reasons for optimism here. As I've been saying all along, we were going to get hit badly by this virus, you know, and and I'm just going to point this out too. a lot of the data is showing that, you know, obesity and diabetes uh, are the the really big comorbidity issues with this virus alongside with with advanced age. But obesity and and the comorbidity issue, obesity and diabetes. And I'm just going to say this. I, I think it's obvious the, you know, people are, are much less healthy and have gained a lot of people I know have gained substantial weight. I mean, six months of really not being able to leave your house, not being able to go to the gym, being constantly told that, you know, the world is ending. People have gained real weight. It's not helping. This is not helping. Uh, you know, our, our immune systems and our ability to fight off disease is a critical component of this. And government policy is, is hurting us. In that regard, the government policy has made it, uh, I think, a lot a lot more difficult for us to stay generally healthy, including to keep our immune systems ready for fighting against this. Trump continued, though, on on the declining mortality rate and the facts and figures around covid as it stands now, or at least yesterday evening. Play two. 
Since the pandemic began, nearly half of all fatalities have been at nursing homes or assisted living centers. That's an incredible statistic when you hear that number. This data underscores that the best path forward is an aggressive strategy focused on protecting Americans at highest risk. As we race toward the development of a vaccine, we must continue to take extraordinary precautions to shield the elderly. And we're doing that. We're doing that at a level that we've never even uh, dreamt possible, both with testing and with common sense. And those with underlining conditions, especially the elderly with the underlining, whether it's heart or diabetes, they seem to be the two most predominant conditions that cause tremendous problems, while allowing those at lowest risk to carefully return to work and to school. Where embers flare up, we must engage immediately. So when you look at the numbers and you look at what's really happening, it's a different narrative than what you're getting. Uh, you're getting from the mainstream media. I talked to uh, Alex Berenson last night and, you know, he's got his book out on Un- unreported truths about about covid, uh, which he sold, I think, over 100,000 copies on Amazon, which to sell to sell that for a book without any publisher behind it and to self publish. That's uh, pretty astonishing. Um, but the coronavirus positive tests in the last two weeks in Florida, Berenson points out, have fallen 60 percent in the last two weeks. Positive tests, I should say, not testing positive tests in Florida, have fallen 60 percent hospitalizations are down right now 20 percent from the peak in florida so you have far fewer positive tests and substantially less people in the hospital with covid are you seeing that reported anywhere are you seeing that reported anywhere and i also like this point that that berenson makes here um about you know we're always told that this is that there's a, a another way that we could have made this whole thing go away, says Japan is a nation of 130 million that never had a lockdown and never had mass testing and has had the least severe epidemic of any major country. But they say that that doesn't really count. But what, why? You know, we, we should investigate what, what is it about Japan that the, no, no mass lockdown. We're going to say that this is all about masks. Is that what we're really going to fall back on? I just I don't know what to tell you, folks, other than people are so dug in now on this. They're never they're never going to change. Um, they're never going to change. They they will refuse to believe that they've been wrong on this, like so many other areas of their lives. The the lockdown libs are it's, it's a bit like the climate change thing now where people couldn't deal with. Look, if I if I find out that all we had to do is if there's real science to show that all we had to do is wear masks the whole time and this whole thing would have gone away, I'll come on air and say, Maya culpa. I've been wearing masks though for months because I have to because I'm in New York. Anywhere I go, I got to wear a mask. I don't wear it in my apartment by myself, but I don't really do anything else. So we're not even having serious conversations about what could have been done differently. We're having politicized conversations about it, and people look at the data in a very cherry picked fashion. They don't want to talk about conclusion of the top health authorities in sweden and the netherlands saying that we don't need to wear masks instead it's just trump is basically hitler and everyone's dying because he's the worst person ever that's what you get including from a lot of public health authorities you know people that are out there uh, and you know one moment nancy pelosi and the rest of the democrat gang are saying 
where's Dr. Where, where, where's Dr. Burks? And where? And then Nancy wants to know. The Chardonnay Socialist. Where's Dr. Burks? Where's Dr. Fauci? Um, yeah, when Nancy wakes up from her nap. Now she's saying Dr. Burks is bad. I don't know what it'll be next week. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sally Yates, you all remember her, don't you? She was the acting attorney general before she had to be fired for refusing to do her job. A holdover from the Obama administration, in my mind, a very clear Democrat partisan, and also quite involved in the targeting of General Flynn and Oh, my, so much more. She was down today testifying before the Senate Judiciary Committee. What are we finding out from her? And also, where where does the effort to get some accountability for the crossfire hurricane debacle? Where does that stand? We got a man who can answer these questions with us now. Congressman Jim Jordan of the great state of Ohio is with us. Congressman, thanks for coming back. You bet, Buck. Good to be with you. So what, what, you do. what do we see today? What do we need to know about Sally Yates as she's testifying well, today, her role in this? Yeah, well, remember the big picture sense. Uh, the Democrats, I said this last week in the hearing with the attorney general, Democrats have been going after Bill Barr because Bill Barr uttered the one word that drove him crazy. It was truthful. He called it spying. And that's exactly what they did. We now know that for sure, spied on the president's campaign. No one else in the Justice Department was willing to call it what it was. Uh, you know, Rod Rosenstein wasn't, Jeff Sessions wasn't, and certainly the individual who's testifying today in front of Senator Graham and, and, and the Judiciary Committee, uh, Sally Yates, wasn't willing to to say what really happened there. They systematically went after the Trump campaign. And then when President Trump won, they systematically went after and targeted and actually got him fired and, and got him prosecuted. Uh, the, uh, the, the, the guy who was going to be the NSA director for the president, uh, General Michael Flynn. So that, that to me, just in that broad sense, that's what's so wrong about this. She knew what went on. She wouldn't point it out. And then she helped him go after Michael Flynn. Do we think that we're going to find out anything from the, you know, the Durham investigation for everybody listening, appointed by uh, Attorney General Barr? Uh, Durham is the U.S. attorney for the state of Connecticut. We've been hearing about yeah. this for many, many months. He's looking into the origins and the totality of the Russia collusion delusion known as Crossfire Hurricane run through the FBI. Congressman Jordan, you've been very involved in this all along from your side of of things. Are we going to find out anything, you think? And, and is there going to be accountability? Well, that's the better, that's the more important question. Uh, we already know everything. Uh, we already know most everything. <clears throat> we know that, that, that there was no proper predicate. We know that they started the investigation on July 31st. They, they sent the, the lady posing as someone else who used the name Azra Turk. They sent her to spy on Papadopoulos. They got the fake FISA, uh, the fraudulent FISA, where they lied to the court 17 times to spy on uh, Carter Page. They went and tried to spy on the president with what we learned just a few weeks ago with this defensive briefing on August 17th. So understand the timeline. You open the investigation July 31st. 17 days later, you're spying on the president under the guise of giving him a defensive briefing as, as you know the Republican candidate for president. And you're already spying on his campaign. And, and I always say between the July 31st and August 17th, there were two important things that happened. There was the now famous uh, text message from Struck to Page where he talked about the insurance policy. And then there was the other text message on the 15th where she asked him, is Trump going to win? He says, no, no, we'll stop it. So those two text messages happen in between the day they start the investigation, the day they start spying on President Trump and everything else. So we know how bad it was. We know all the wrong they did. The key question is, will people be held accountable? Will there be some indictments? 
again, I think it goes all the way to the top because we, we know now this January 5th, 2017 meeting in the Oval Office with Obama, Biden, Comey, Yates, uh, 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 Samantha, or excuse me, Susan Rice. We know all the key players are there, so someone needs to be held accountable. We'll just have to wait and see if that's actually Do you think, and we're speaking to Congressman Jim Jordan of Ohio, uh, Congressman, do you think that if the Durham investigation uncovers clear violations of law, that the DOJ, as it stands right now, has the stomach to indict some of the any of the named players from the crossfire hurricane uh, ambush and soft coup attempt against President Trump. The, the, the real question is, does, does the attorney general? And I think he does. I've been very impressed with the attorney general's work. I was very I thought he handled himself extremely well last week in front of the Democrats who, you know, the Democrats didn't let us finish our video that we had at the top of the hearing. Uh, didn't let Bill Barr answer the questions, and they even tried to stop him from going to the restroom at one point. So even in, in spite of how bad they treated him, I thought he handled himself very well. I think he has the stomach for doing the right thing. I think when he called it spying a little over a year ago, the first time he testified in front of the Senate, uh, I think he does. Let's just hope that's that's what happens. And, and it, frankly, it should happen now. If you got the evidence and, and it's there, don't wait. Justice delayed is justice denied. Let's 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 come forward with uh, the conclusion of your investigation and let's hold people count on that on that uh, point about delay. Are there ways uh, currently that you're seeing that, that the Democrats in, in Congress are trying to just slow slow processes down in order to prevent there from being greater accountability and transparency for the spying campaign against the president? I mean, other than, the, the you know, the the mainstream media and all the lies and, and, and misinformation they put out and and the real real effort by Democrats in Congress is they're trying to do to Bill Barr what they what they've been trying to do to the president for three and a half years. So, you know, four weeks ago, they filed articles of impeachment. A member of the Democrat member of the Judiciary Committee filed articles of impeachment against the attorney general. So they're attacking the attorney general because he had the courage to state the truth, which was. The Obama-Biden administration spied on the Trump campaign. The Obama-Biden administration had no predicate for opening the investigation. They continued the investigation after they knew there was nothing there. They they then targeted Michael Flynn 49 times, 38 people, 49 times unmasked Michael Flynn's just between election 2016 and Inauguration Day, January 2017. They were out to get Flynn because they understood Oh, we can't have the guy who was former head of the Defense Intelligence Agency. We can't have him coming in as the new national security advisor. We have to ruin him. And that's what they set out and actually did. Thank goodness the truth is coming out. So um, the, the Democrats have been all about trying to slow things down by attacking the attorney general and attacking the investigation. Congressman Jim Jordan of Ohio, we're speaking to him right now. Congressman, do you get the sense from your Democrat colleagues that uh, in, in the House that they still believe Russia collusion? I mean, honestly, they actually believe that there's something there? Or was it just useful for them, and now they're just playing the, the, the hand they were dealt, so to speak, by trying to use it in whatever way they can against Trump? It's both. Some of, the, some of them are you know, so left-wing, they, they believe all this baloney. Uh, some of them, it's just they, they're so out to get the president. It, it just this. You know, there's different names they have for it, but they just they just go after the president nonstop. It started before the election. And it's it's really sad because instead of ever just trying to work together to, to help the country, it's for them. It's all about going after the president. I mean, the fact that, again, they filed articles of impeachment against the attorney general 
just a couple of weeks before he was coming in to testify. And then when he comes in to testify, they don't let him answer the questions. Shows how ridiculous and crazy they are. So um, it's, a, it's a combination of both, but I think the American people see it for what it is. Other than the most radical leftists around the country, they think what the Democrats are, are proposing and pushing and, and the policies they are advocating that's hold deep on the police and attacking the, the rule of law and attacking the attorney general and the president, I think Americans see, see how wrong it is. I like to ask, because I'm, I'm here in New York and I end up getting a lot of focus on, on the COVID situation in the Northeast mm-hmm. in this corridor because that's where I am, but obviously it's a nationwide issue. And I, I want to know, we have a lot of listeners in, 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 uh, you know, that, that want to know as well how it's going elsewhere. How are things going in your state of Ohio with COVID? And also, if you can speak specifically to where are you, where are you with uh, where is the situation with school reopening? Well, schools are schools are going to reopen here in Ohio. Now, the governor has just indicated that uh, he's going to require all students to wear masks. I think that's frankly not consistent with science. It's one thing if you have workers and, and, and teachers and others wear masks. But I don't you know, there's not been one single kid. In the whole state of California, as an example, not, not one kid under 18 has passed away from COVID. So uh, the science is not there for kids wearing them, but but certainly for the for the adults. But, yes, yeah, schools are opening here. Businesses are, are, are humming along. Uh, the president's going to be in our state uh, at, at, uh, on Thursday with uh, at the Whirlpool facility in, in Clyde in our district. And they're they're just having a, a, a great uh, a great year. So uh, I think things are good. And I think that I think if the whole country would we could just go back to work. Do it in a safe way, of course, but go back to work. You'd see the economy. It's already starting this the great American comeback and the V-shaped uh, recovery is already happening. It would really happen if we could just get some of these Democrat governors to let, let, let Americans go back to work. Congressman Jim Jordan, always good to talk to you, sir. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Bob. Take care, brother. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I mentioned it yesterday briefly on the show, but I'm going to tell you, I've, I've never seen anything like this blast that was captured from many different angles in, in real time. This blast at the uh, port of Beirut or Beirut's port in in Lebanon. It, it, it did look a bit like what you'd see in a movie as a nuclear explosion. It was not a nuclear explosion, of course, but the mushroom cloud, everybody was commenting on this. Um, and, and absolutely a devastating explosion. Over 100 people dead, thousands wounded from it. The entire port of, of Beirut um, is essentially destroyed in one moment. Uh, the blast killed, this according to BBC, 135 people, injured more than 4,000. And there's now a two-week state of emergency in Lebanon. The president... Michelle Aoun has said that the uh, the blast was caused by 2,750 tons of ammonium nitrate stored unsafely in a warehouse. The customs chief, Badri Daher, said that his agency called for the chemical to be removed, but this did not happen. My friends, ammonium nitrate is used as a homemade explosive and and I, I believe ammonium nitrate was used in the Oklahoma City bomb and you give you a sense of uh, the, the kind of power that this now think about that was in, that was one that was like one vehicle with ammonium nitrate right think about how much ammonium nitrate almost 3000 tons of this is all going up at once i, I 
know that we're, and most of you are just listening to this on radio, but I mean, if you see the visualization of this, it's it's the craziest explosion I've ever seen. And I've I've seen a lot of big explosions from you know Iraq and Afghanistan and all that footage. I've been near explosions that have happened uh, that were pretty sizable. Uh, when I say near, you know, mile, mile and a half off and felt the shockwave or or, you know, we're aware the windows rattle a little bit. Um, nothing. I mean, that was those would be two or three hundred pounds of explosive, which is a big boom and really dangerous to be within a, a few hundred yards of it. But twenty seven, twenty seven hundred plus tons of ammonium nitrate. It's like they had the world's biggest bomb, not non-nuclear, like the world's biggest conventional bomb and decided to just and it just happened. I mean, it, no one did this on purpose, at least as far as we know. Um, but it is uh, stunning when you see this footage. Um, they had just been storing this in the port and there's all this back and forth. Here you go. This again, BBC uh, the port general manager told the TV station there they were aware the material was dangerous. A court ordered it stored in the w- warehouse, but not to this degree. Um, they had been writing back and forth in judiciary. They knew this thing was there trying to move it. Uh, my friends, what what is the lesson here? I mean, other than everyone, you just this is one of those things where you, you've got to see the explosion to understand the full force and ferocity. There's a, there's a a video circulating now of a woman who's having her wedding photos taken, wedding video taken, and she's pretty far from the blast. And you're there watching, and it goes from this peaceful, beautiful scene where she's in a wedding dress to just the the whoosh of the the shockwave, and it's stunning. Um, it's and it's terrifying. I mean, a lot of people died, a lot of people buried alive in buildings that were that were destroyed because of this. If there's a lesson to take from this, and I think it's an important one that we all have to remember, because I know Beirut, Lebanon, it's far away. These are fellow human beings here who are just going about their lives, and now a lot of them have lost their lives. A lot of them are, are going to be horribly wounded because of this. Uh, so while it's it's far off geographically, it's something that we can all relate to and, and, and sympathize with. And uh, the lesson that I see from this is just the government is deeply incompetent. The government will have, and I mean this in a general sense, not just in Lebanon. This could have happened in any number of places. I mean, maybe in America, regulations are a little better, a little, our government's a little bit less incompetent. But here they had the equivalent of a massive bomb that they were storing for years in a warehouse. And never, no one ever stopped to think, hey, this is uh, something that is urgent that there's an urgency to dealing with this. We don't have all the time in the world. We don't have the ability to sit here and wait around and wonder if there's a perfect solution to this. The problems of government come from, and the ineptitude, the incompetence of it comes from a lack of initiative and a lack of accountability. Right? In fact, initiative in the government is generally, uh, generally punished. If you're the person that comes forward and says, I have a solution to this, and that's not the consensus opinion of that government institution, you will be told uh, to sit down and shut up and don't damage your career. You know, you'll be told not to be the squeaky wheel. You will not get the oil, so to speak. And and then on the accountability side, who's responsible? For, oh, the port director will say the court is responsible. And the court will say that the uh, you know customs division was responsible. And the customs division will say the police were, you know, it's just... Everybody says somebody else is the reason 
why this man-made catastrophe occurred. It's a man-made catastrophe, but from what you'll hear, no man is actually responsible for it. This is a, a lesson, a very painful, very lethal lesson, once again, for the whole world in why government needs to have a clear, a clear mandate, limited power, and why government accountability to the degree you can have it is so important. And why you don't want to trust the government with anything that you absolutely do not have to. You want individual human beings working uh, under their own uh, freely entered into agreements and using their own skills, talents, and abilities to do things. You do not want the government to be doing things for you. So that's that's what I take from uh, from this situation. Anyway, uh, hearts hearts go out to the people of Lebanon. Beautiful country, wonderful people, and thoughts and prayers. It's a very uh, very difficult situation there, and um, I, I'm just. If you have not seen that video, uh, it, it's one of those things where you actually ha- you you should see it just because it is an event unlike any other you've ever seen, and it is a reminder of what can happen when uh, government incompetence and and stupidity is left completely unchecked, completely unchecked, and, and that's a concern I think for a lot of us. Uh, Here, as we see our own leadership in America at a time when we're going through a pandemic and there's more and more control in the hands of these officials. But are are we really to think that they're much more on top of things? They're much more um, accountable and capable than the port director for Beirut. Do I think that Bill de Blasio would have done a much better job in handling this? Apparently, they seized all this stuff off a ship off the uh, off the ocean. So they had this in a warehouse. But a lot of people are going to have theories, too. A lot, there's there's a lot of conspiracies out there already about this. And people are coming forward with their own versions of what they think may have happened. Um, you know, may, may have really happened apart from the official narrative. So I'll continue to look for for theories that I find compelling because this is almost so stupid and so reckless and devastating that it's hard to believe even for government that it could be this bad. So I do leave open the possibility that there are certainly things that we have not yet been told about this that would explain a lot more than what we have already seen that that I will. I I do believe that's something that we should keep uh, an open mind to as well as we continue to see reporting on this one. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's not the best Schwarzenegger movie, but it's a pretty solid one. I mean, I'm not sure it's top ten. It's definitely not top five. I don't know. Producer Mark, Kindergarten Cop, does it make your Schwarzenegger top ten? Yeah, why not? It's a cute movie. It's watchable. It has some fun. It's actually one of Schwarzenegger's funnier movies. It may be his funniest role. I mean, he's not really known as a comedic actor. Well, he did Twins with Danny DeVito, and he did Kindergarten. He went through kind of a comedy. He's like, my name is Schwarzenegger, and I'm here, and I'm making the funny jokes with the funny accent, you know? And he went through a little bit of a comedy. Yeah, he's an action. He's the greatest action superstar, uh, you know, movie hero of all time, right? I mean, that's, that's who Schwarzenegger really is. But... Here's the thing in Portland, which, as we know, is overrun by insane communists, unfortunately, it's a beautiful place, beautiful place. And there are some great team buck listeners in Oregon and, and in Portland specifically. But uh, but the, but the state of Oregon is overrun with leftist loons and 
I hope that at least this show is a little island of sanity for those of you who are living in Oregon. I love the Oregon coast. I think it's really beautiful. There's a, a, a city in Oregon. I'm not even I don't remember which one which one it is where they filmed Kindergarten Cop. OK, there's a city where they filmed Kindergarten Cop in the state of Oregon, and they were going to have a film festival. Uh, the and the Northwest Film Center canceled a screening of the 1990 movie Kindergarten Cop because it's been what is it now? Uh, 30 years since the movie came. Wow. Can't believe that. 30 years since the movie came out. I remember I saw it in theaters and they got rid of it because a, a left wing author says, quote, was, was tweeting about this. I don't even know who this person is. Uh, it was um, traumatization of children by police and compared Schwarzenegger's kindergarten cop to birth of a nation and gone with the wind, which, as we know, was also recently canceled. So so kindergarten cop at a film festival in a place where it was where kindergarten cop was filmed 30 years ago has been pulled, has been canceled, even though it gave us such great lines as producer Mark play it. Play what? Don't we have them line? It's not a tumor. Yeah, we have it now because you just said it. Oh, okay. I thought we actually had it to play. Well, I, I tried. Anyway, it's not a tumor. Remember that? And also, you know, what you lack, oh, you lack discipline. You know, there was that there was the that prank call board that people set up for a while where it was just all these different. I think it was from Total Recall, Kindergarten Cop. It was Schwarzenegger lines. You son of a... And you could call somebody and you'd play the button and have all the Schwarzenegger... Do you remember this, producer, Mark? Like a soundboard? Yeah, it's like a soundboard of huh. Schwarzenegger quotes. And, uh, you know, it's not a tumo is one of... Them. There's a whole bunch of them. There's you know, a long history in sports talk radio of playing people's clips back at them as if, as if they're a caller. Yeah. You get what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. So you can do that with a movie, too. Why not? That'd be funny. Mm-hmm. That's why we don't take live calls. Indeed. So, uh, so they have canceled Kindergarten Cop. The author, the Portland author, was Lois Levine. She went on a Twitter rant about how the film is... Ex- Kindergarten Cop is exploitative and has no comedic or redeeming qualities. She also referenced... <laughs> she also referenced the school-to-prison pipeline. It's a movie about an undercover cop teaching, like, six-year-olds. What? The, no one who's six... Is it the school-to-prison pipeline? First of all, there is no school-to-prison pipeline. This is a myth. There are people who commit crimes who go to prison. There's nothing to do with the school-to-prison pipeline. Oh, my gosh. Quote, there's nothing entertaining about the presence of police in schools, which feeds the school-to-prison pipeline in which African-American, Latinx, and other kids of color are criminalized rather than educated. Uh, about two... Oh, my gosh. I, I'm... Uh, this is amazing. So now Kindergarten Cop is on the, is on, canceled. Glorifying cops and traumatizing children and comparing it to Birth of a Nation. And look, it's definitely not like Gone with the Wind in that it's not a timeless classic. Uh, but Birth of a Nation, wow. People are nuts, folks. The libs are nuts, in case you were wondering. I thought it was worth sharing that. And with that, we can go to your thoughts in Roll Call. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for Roll Call. 
right, roll call, everybody. Um, so here we are. Let's get to it. Um, we have first up in the mix. Well, we want to we want to check in on our buddy producer Mark. Make sure that uh, he's doing okay. How you doing over there, buddy? I'm doing all right. Uh, in right. fact, the Rangers got swept in the uh, playoffs, and they're out now. Uh, I'm fine. Okay, how's Mrs. Mark? Everything good? She's fine, yeah. Okay, good. Just checking. All right, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton, teambuck at iheartmedia.com if you want to send emails to tell us about all the things. And let's get right to it. Asher, greetings, Buck and producer Mark. I'm a college student in Mobile, Alabama. Team Buck campus, baby. Yeah. And thoroughly enjoy the podcast. Buck's impersonations are amazing. Aside from the benefits that mail-in voting would offer the Democrat Party in the form of fraud, I've been considering why they fear in-person voting so much. My theory is that the Democrat Party knows they have terrified their voting base with their nonstop COVID hysteria. This being the case, their base is much more likely to stay home on Election Day over fears, conscious and subconscious, that they may catch the virus. This is especially true since Biden voters are far less enthusiastic and for the most part believe Biden is certain to win. Just some thoughts. First of all, Asher, great to have uh, Team Buck campus. And please spread the word to your college college age friends about the Buck Sexton show, Spotify, iHeart app. Uh, easy for them to listen to it. So we'd really appreciate that. And as for um, your point about the covid hysteria and how that affects Democrat perceptions of the election, I think it's a very worthy point, and I would just tell you uh, that, yes, at some level, I'm sure there are a lot of Democrats who truly are too scared to go vote in person. So there's that. And Democrats want mail-in voting. So it's it's win-win for them. It's win-win for them to make the hysteria even more than it currently it currently is. Um, so let's keep all of that in mind, my friends. Um, thank you so much. Rick. Hey, Buck and producer Mark. Love your podcast. I listen on my Raycon earbuds while I stock night groceries. Yes. You see what you see what Rick just did there, producer Mark? He just stepped behind the three point line. Nothing but net. You know, he wasn't happy with the two. Not only does he love the show, but he's also giving one of our wonderful sponsors a shout out and actually bought his Raycon earbuds. Isn't that exciting? Yes. Well done by Rick. Rick, step back behind the line, my man. Three pointer. Nothing but net. Right before the buzzer. We appreciate it. And he's Thank one you. of the ones that stands. Wait, he's one of the what? He's one of the players that stands. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yes, yes, indeed. He's one of the players who stands up, too. I was listening to your Thursday podcast when you did your montage on mask debaters. I laughed so hard, people from several aisles over came over to see what was up. You made my night. Thanks. Live long and prosper. Uh, I mean, shields high, because if you don't hold your shield high, you'll probably do neither. P.S., I have never considered a hot dog a sandwich. This man works uh, stocking groceries, producer Mark, and he is with me on the hot dog debate. I'm just going to point that out. What do you mean? I don't consider a hot dog a sandwich either. Oh, crap. He's with me. Damn it. Yeah. And he's an expert. He is an expert. Exactly. Damn it. Mm -hmm. Rick's our new favorite listener. (laughs) This guy, he's a three-pointer, and he just stole the inbound pass and dunked it for producer Mark. All right. Fair enough. Hey, Rick, man, Shields High, thank you so much for writing in. James, Buck, Shields High from the Shenandoah Valley. A clear path to beating libs in our presidential election is to have a presidential election holiday. The American working force is a majority, and many more would vote if they didn't have to work all day. 
I'm still convinced our American family is like-minded in what we hold near and dear. You guys are simply the best. Well, thank you so much, James. You are the best as well. We really appreciate all your support. And yeah, I think that I think that I've never heard a good explanation of why uh, Election Day shouldn't be a federal holiday. Uh, We got federal holidays that seem much less necessary to me than Election Day. Right. We got like President's Day and stuff. I mean, Election Day. Everyone should have the day off as a federal holiday uh, to get as much voting going as possible. Despite what Democrats say and believe, I actually do want more people to vote. I just want to make sure the people who vote should be voting, are legally voting, and are engaged in the political process so they have some understanding of what they're doing. That last one's a little bit harder, but the first two I'm pretty uh, dead set on. So, yeah, Rick. Um, oh, no, James. Uh, thank you so much. We do appreciate it, my man. And I agree. I, I'll look and see. There might be some explanation for this that I haven't. But I know that I've had to go rush to the polls after work and wait in line and all this stuff. And, you know, it'd be nice if, if I'd had the day off. Plus, we could all sit around and have Election Day parties. Think about that. Yeah, yeah. A lot of gluten-free hors d'oeuvres. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, more roll call coming to us via Michaela. Hello, Bucket Producer Mark. Greetings from Lincoln, Nebraska. I recently found your show while in Colorado visiting my family and happened upon it on Freedom 93.7 out of Denver. I now mostly catch it on iHeartRadio. Wonderful, Michaela. We love our Freedom 93.7 folks out in Denver, and I'm so glad that you have now joined the team as a result. I thoroughly enjoy your new show. The little bits of comedy with voices and whatnot help to make, listener, help to make listening to what's going on in the country a little easier. My first experience with political talk shows started with being introduced to Rush Limbaugh when I was in high school by my dad. Here's to continue to try my best to think for myself and not trust the mainstream media. Keep up the great work and thank you for your insight. Uh, well, Michaela, thank you so much. I'm welcome to the team. Great to have you. We're honored that you would uh, spend your time listening to us and catching up with all the things. And I'm glad that you also enjoy the little fun stuff we do, too. You know, we try to we try to use it like a spice. You know, you don't want too much. Oregano, salt, pepper, crushed garlic, um, you know, what do you, what do you call it? Uh, gabagool? I mean, you, you want, want a want... nice amount of spices, but come on. Yeah, yeah, but you know, you want a, what's the, a prosciutto? You want enough of prosciutto? You're just naming Italian meats. Yeah, but I'm saying you don't want too much of these things. They're delicious, but in a certain capacity. I mean, I guess you know? so. I, I love prosciutto. Mortadella. I, I actually, you might be right. Maybe there is. Is there really? Is there yeah. really such a thing as too much prosciutto? That's I don't think there is. I'm not. You know, too much. Too much uh, Genoa salami. I'm not. I'm not sure that's a. That's a thing. All right. Well, anyway, um, she also writes. Producer Mark, no worries. You're not the only twenty-something uh, who sometimes is on the grumpy side. One of my best friends called me a cranky old cat lady one day before telling me to eat a Twinkie instead of a Snickers to make things better. Oh, producer Mark, Michaela's Michaela's a fellow grump buddy. Yeah, one day I'll be the uh, cranky old uh, dog guy. I'll never be a cat lady. Yeah, yep, yep. Wow. I don't like cats. No, no, no. I'm not talking about that. I'm looking at our next... uh, I'm not a cat person either. I'm okay with them. Unless they're totally shaved. That that freaks me out. Yeah, that is freaky. I saw that recently. I think it was on an episode of the show Succession. They had a shaved cat walking around, and I'm just like, I did not understand that. Um, That, to me, looks like some kind of alien life form that's come to take over the planet by, you know, ingesting all human beings. 
All right, Marcus, love the show. Real news with no details left out. I heard on a recent podcast you were coming to North Carolina. Beautiful place here. We have gorgeous mountains and beaches all in one state. Would love to know which part and what's the occasion. Shields High, Sheldon. Well, Sheldon, I'm coming down to Craven County, North Carolina, next Friday uh, for the Craven County uh, GOP. Uh, I don't know, you know, Craven County GOP. I'm giving a speech. People are going to be there. We'll take the precautions necessary to make sure everyone's safe and sound. But well, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. I've, I've been told we are cleared to do it, and it's all fine. So um, the thing that Sheldon really got me, uh, Sheldon has a Shields High tattoo on his arm. And it, first of all, it does look pretty badass. Uh, it's pretty amazing. But wow, producer Mark, you see this? That's that's like a yeah. real, that's a tattoo tattoo. It's and on his bicep. That's a different person from Marcus. But remember, this is Sheldon that wrote in with the graphic originally. And he said he was going to get the tattoo. Now he sends us a picture of it. It's kind of awesome, actually. Yeah. I mean, it's like pretty amazing. I mean, I you feel like put I that on a T-shirt. Hmm. Uh, it's pretty fantastic. I've got to tell you, I do do like it quite a bit. Um, hey, man, look, Marcus, we are humbled that you would use the rallying cry of this show for for a tattoo. And I'll just tell you, you know, there I remember a few years ago, I believe it was a Marine instructor out at, I want to say 29 Palms. If I got that wrong, though, apologies. But I believe he's out of 29 Palms. And when he was training re- uh, recruits, um, they, they, would, they would yell, Shields High. So I thought that was pretty, that was, that was like the most badass thing ever. That made this all, uh, that, that made it all just fantastic. Um, so, yeah, this is, this is amazing. Um, this is pretty amazing. I'm like, I'm actually speechless that Marcus got this. Wait. Sheldon got on. it. Sheldon got it. Sheldon got it. I'm sorry. Sheldon finally got the tattoo. Sheldon, you are, you are, you are a badass team buck individual. I don't know what else to say. That's amazing. That's amazing. Oh, good stuff, man. It looks cool, too. It's actually a really good tattoo design. I'm impressed. Yeah. Producer Mark. How many tattoos? Have you? Oh, that's right. You no, can't get buried in a Jewish cemetery, right? Yes. And I, oh, I so. wouldn't get one anyway. I look, just, I'm not a tattoo guy. Look at, oh, no, we'd make you get one on like, on like the upper pec region of the chest. You definitely have to get one. Show your devotion to the team. No. But you have a, reli- Only you have a, if a some, religious exemption, and okay. we believe in the First Amendment here and all that stuff. So. I consider it if someone gets my face tattooed on their, any part of their body. Producer Mark, the team is very dedicated. I, you know. I shouldn't I say these things. Somebody's going to do it. Uh, someone's going to have a producer mark that do on his face. Dave, hey, Buck, listen to the podcast, which is fantastic as usual. It might as well be the producer mark show with contributions by Buck. <laughs> uh, I love it. My boys will be back in the classroom in the fall because they need to be with their buddies. The city and the county's cave because the council members are now career politicians. Keep up the great work. Uh, well, Dave, thank you so much. Appreciate it, man. And uh, yeah, I'm glad to hear that you're going to have kids back in the classroom. I think that's the right move. Michelle, one last one before we got to close it out. I wonder whether I'm the only person who's seen this plot line and designated survivor is concerned if Joe Biden's elected the Dems will plan all along to deem him incompetent and replace him with the VP or Pelosi. Do you think that's possible? Uh, Michelle, they're going to have the VP step up if Biden wins within two years. That's my prediction. This VP will take over. Biden will be out by the midterms. That's my guess. All right, everybody. Thanks as always, an honor and a pleasure. Till tomorrow, Shields High.